So I am here with Ilya Suleiman, who is most recently the director of The Time That Remains. Ilya, how are you doing? Fine. I wanted to first of all start off with the ES character who you play. Uh, he has been presented largely as this silent spectator within the three films, Chronicle of a Disappearance, uh, Divine Intervention, and now The Time That Remains. But I wanted to ask you about this because there are also often in your films these groups of men who sit at tables, who simply observe what's going on, generally in two or three, and all three of the films have this. I'm curious about the origin of this silent spectator and also wondering how you arrived at it because it is rather interesting as a spectator watching the movie to be greeted through the screen with the spectators spectating back. That goes your 20 minutes. <laughs> um, I don't know if there is a precise origin that I could trace back. I mean, I, there may be the hypothesis is that I don't have a film background. I don't have an academic background in film. And at least it entertains me to think that the fact that I, that I came from um, another entrance to cinema, that maybe I'm using the silent cinema as a base, like, you know, pioneers who didn't have a sense of what the camera is and started to film. But of course, this lacks all sorts of precision to really describe why. I think it came also because it came naturally. Yeah. That, that is, when I made my first um, short film, I I do recall that I didn't that it started to evolve in that direction, and even if I could say that I did not even have a sense of whether I'm going to be acting in the film, I was trying to cast someone who would look like me, and it ended up being you know my own strip teasing. Um, that it came because it felt more sincere and it felt more true to what I was to the language I was trying to construct. Now, saying silent is true, but then we're constructing images. We're trying to, you know, pigment backgrounds and foregrounds. So yes, there is silent, but there's a lot of sound. And, and yes, there is a certain amount of silence, but there's a lot of narratives. And I think it's true that I become <clears throat> um, a certain uh, protagonist, but this protagonist, in fact, is so marginalized, he's so decentered that I could say he almost becomes a, a translucent guide. He's a reference to certain places in the tableau where you can watch. And so that's why I create my images to become, um, let's say, there's a certain democratization in the image where the spectator can actually look in different spots and, and maybe can also visit and also revisit. Uh, but yeah. is spectating essentially the common point of this democratization between you and the audience? Well, again, it's not a strategy. What happens is all in the domain of a certain departure point that when, when it floats in a space without gravity, when it enters into a sort of cosmos, then it becomes the combination of too many, you know, too many spaces or one space with a lot of travelogue in it. And I think that once I ignite that moment, it leaves me and then it becomes not the, not the, not the, it, it stops being the initiation and it becomes the combination. Because when you start with, a, with an idea, when you start to pigment 
an image, I think what happens is the place has to speak back to you. And you know that you hear it, you see it. And when that happens, you know that it becomes an image that is no longer related to the initiation. It just becomes its own, its own space. So it's now the fact that there is a sense that the image also is looking at you is because I do, I take much more pleasure from spaces that are open enough for a spectator to participate. And I don't like to feed neither information nor imposition. So I prefer when the spectator is participating in the making of the film according to their own desire, according to their own memory, and to their own vision of it. So I'd like to think that my films are a combination of all of that. Well, going to this idea of the audience as a participant, I was curious, because you have indicated in other interviews that you have been somewhat surprised that your films play so well across various national lines that someone here in the States will laugh at the same points that someone does in Norway. Is much of this to do with the fact that your films are so silent, do you think? Or do you think that the common idea of trying to survive, trying to be silently existing as there's all this oppression going on, that it's more that? I don't think it's neither nor. I think that when you make cinema, if, you know, by de facto, you're not trying to um, address it to one locale. And if you do not poeticize, then you will probably remain in the provincial setting of the locale where you shot your film in. I don't address a public. I only do what I have faith to become communicative an image that means it will if it's if it's true to itself if it's sincere to itself uh, it will travel it will transgress it it will have no borders no checkpoints can stop it yes and and I think that it will become an uh, an object of desire and I think I was not surprised this is maybe you know I, I would be arrogant to say I was surprised I would say that this is what the ambition is and when you shoot an image that cannot reach potentially to everywhere that means you have to stop there that means you should not have that image so maybe you can say that the place where the story takes place has a privilege for the immediate audience of that place sometimes for the very naive fact that they know the location they know the personage but then after that it, your film will travel. And if it travels to Scandinavia where they relate to it, if they express m- themselves by saying, oh, this looks like our experience, it's just be- because it's, this is what we are all trying to do is communicate and have a shared sense of intimacy. And so, of course, I mean, the, f- the flattering aspect of making a film is when it actually can be related to any person anywhere. And the idea is that, you know, Anywhere means identifying with the with that experience on the screen because we do share as a similar and especially unfortunately today we are obliged to share because of globalization <laughs> you know we're forced yeah. to actually experience the same sort of oppression or the same sort of nagging um, a horror of a situation that we are living in today but but the initial idea of reading a, a book is 
only because we can actually all partake in the experience and not because we are patronizing or arrogant or anthropological or ethnographic. In fact, th this is I, what I try to do is the antithesis of that. Yeah. But also making the audience <clears throat> aware of ES's evolution, uh, his creative evolutionary process. What's interesting in this third film is that it's not quite there as it is in the, in the first two. The first film, we have typed interstitial titles between the various episodes. Mm -hmm. The second film, we have ES putting up various post-its and reading off of post-its, but not anything like that in the third film. And I'm curious why that was. Is it largely because this film is less about ES and more about the 1948 situation? Uh, I'm also wondering if you had actually attempted to start this movie uh, without having ES being involved with it at all. Uh, maybe you can talk about why you decided not to have that conscious presentation of, of, of taking a note and turning it into uh, an episode in one of your films. Um, if you actually go back to Chronicle, even though I exist slightly in the first half an hour, yeah. but what, what remains in your memory is the second half. Yes. If you took Divine, the first half an hour, you know, also, I'm not there. That's the first, true. The first image is after the, uh, after the first half an hour. It's the same here. Yeah. First the 48 and then ah, me yes, as a kid. that's right. So... That's interesting. We remember the last parts of the movies more than the first parts. What but, does that say? But in fact, I, I was there, young, yeah. you know, and that's teenager. True. So, no, I'm consistent, in yeah. fact. Um, and no, I never envisioned that I was not going to be there. Uh, but I, I, I did not know how as all process of script writing goes, I had no idea in the beginning if this is going to work in this sort of order, you know. Uh, um, there was a version of the script where it starts with the last uh, and goes to the first, but evidently this works much better. Yeah. Uh, but no, actually, it's, it's basically the process. I mean, you, I don't think that I personally do not desire to initiate a script by knowing what it's about entirely, but to also feel that process while I'm in the writing process. I do my homework so well in terms of precision of what each shot should be like, but then I don't take my homework to the set in order to reignite that inspiration and to remain in the present so that when it arrives to the spectator, he does not or she does not have a sense of it as the past. Yeah. So this is part of the, not exactly a strategy, but a very alerted uh, position into not to fall into pitfalls of déjà vus, basically, and not to fall into classical narratives. And just because of the pleasure that emanates from to myself first and in the faith to the spectator after so really it's not a it's not a question of um it's a it's a question of the poetic and not necessarily a question of the tar targeted yeah i wanted to touch back on a point you were making about the democratization of the audience in this with a specific uh, ultimate the popcorn less uh, the, well the popcorn less and and those with popcorn divine intervention mm -hmm. there's a wonderful clip involving, you know, uh, a sort of ma your answer to the matrix. Mm -hmm. The ultimate democratic video scenario, uh, YouTube, actually features this clip, and a quarter of a million people have seen the clip. A user named Firestarter89 offers this comment. It's like some Muslim smoked a bunch of weed and watched Wonder Woman in the Matrix. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering if seeing a clip like that, or if a clip like that presented on YouTube, if you're worried if that gets away from the point of the trilogy that 
presented independently without any kind of context, people don't really know that it's actually your clip. They're just a bunch of people who just enjoy that clip for what it is. Is that troublesome for you as a filmmaker? And, you know, on, on one hand, you've got an audience here, but they have taken it and turned it into something completely different, as this user Firestart89 clearly has. Well, I mean, it, it would be too too long to now uh, discuss the, 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 the potence and impotence of the Internet and YouTube. Um, and I don't look at my own clips, by the way. I, didn't, I never watch what they say. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not really interested... In, in this kind of image ghettoization uh, and the, the very consumerist element of it on, on the internet. So I, I'm, you know, and I, 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 I actually protect myself uh, from this pollution, you know. Um, however, yes, it, to take it out of context is really harmful yeah. because this, in the narrative of the film, what we see is his fantasy, his inner fantasy because of his lover disappearing. So he wants her to come back as a victorious hero in a very almost, you know, um, B-movie-like or, you know, or kitsch-like, you know, ambience. When that episode is finished, we, we, he is cutting onions in yeah. order to cry. So yeah. we, we see that the result of it is this impotent, you know, character who is even unable to cry. So yeah. there's an extremity, you know, to that violence and that victorious heroism. Um, I have to say that, that I have to tell you a story, a very funny story. Actually, one time a man stops me, a young man stops me. I was trying to film something on a small camera in Ramallah in the street, but for nothing specific. Maybe I forgot, maybe to take a note. I, I don't even remember. And he doesn't know who I am. He just stops me. He's, in fact, yeah, he stops me and he says, are you a filmmaker? I said, well, kind of. I mean, I'm, you know. And he said, you know, you Palestinian filmmakers are all losers. You know, you don't know how to make a real film. You don't know how to do anything. You know, make us a film like this guy that made this this ninja film. And I told him, what guy made a ninja film? So he starts to describe to me the action, and it turns out to be a segment of divine intervention. Yeah. I told him, well, I'm going to try, you know. <laughs> And he said, that's filmmaking for me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, of course, there's going to be always this le level of um, misinterpreting or taking things out of context. You cannot control that. You know, they, you know, look at my biography. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, I, I've, I've been presented with at least 10 biographies of mine. None of them, none of them is true to my biography. Yeah. And yet here you are making movies that are rooted in autobiography and as such... <laughs> There's the classic saying that we accept fiction for its truth more, than, particularly in this country, more than autobiography or memoir, which we constantly question the facts. I mean, you know. But you know, for lack, for for, and I'm I'm not I'm not at all pointing fingers at anyone. But sure. the fact is, there is always a tendency to bring down to earth again what you're trying to to bring to a potential reality, and rather they bring it back to the actual reality. So. You know, you're trying to fight the media, you know, distortions, and they bring it, you know, back. You're, eventually, you have a TV interview. Yeah. Uh, you're put in the news, you know. So I don't know how much we can, on how many fronts, actually, you can actually stop or start to deter. You, you know, there's enough. I mean, I, I, can, I can barely make my movies. So, you know, to start also campaigning against, you know, YouTube or, or distortions on the media, it's very difficult for me. But I think that one could also say, you know, 
rather than look at it from a defeatist point of view, one can say if it if it gave anyone out there some pleasure and some some dreamlike potential better world, then I think we are you know if if this is if if I feel that I'm doing the best I can. Um, if I feel that I'm trying to dig out, you know, the little monster inside of oneself, not necessarily the monster only that you project on. Uh, if you're trying to evaluate, reevaluate your own acts and trying to become a better person according to your own moral equation, I think this this far I can do, but I can't do more than that. Yeah, I, I wanted to go quickly into a question of process. Lots to talk about. We'll do what we can in this very limited time. Um, I'm curious about how the time that remains features, I think, probably some of your more ballet-like blocking. There's two scenes that come to mind are, are when the soldiers essentially steal the, and, and fold the sheet to the phonograph. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And then there's another moment later on uh, where there is a, a cuffed guy who's bumming a cigarette from his buddies on, on the uh, bench, among many other things. And it's just basically the opposing viewpoint of what ES is, is seeing. You mean that's at the end of the movie? Yeah, at the yeah. end of the movie, yes. Uh, and I'm wondering, this level of ambition, I think, in the blocking, um, is that something that has been, well, oh my God, it's, it's another seven years, I better put it into this movie, or is it more related to the theme of the time that remains, uh, that seeing a lot of action unfold within a, a some just one fixed point is is part of what the movie is about. Where what what's some of the motivation behind these very elaborately staged setups uh, in these two instances? And there's several others throughout. Uh, yeah. There were about five questions. Oh yes. Uh, the last scene in the movie actually has to do maybe with my desire to portray a younger generation, despite the little time that remains that will still come with a sign of hope, whether it's, in this case, it's through a rap band sitting on a bench, you know, being, you know, each other. Um, the fact that this arrested kid, you know, still can have a time for a smoke. Yeah. Uh, the fact that the police is the defeated, the fact that the authority is the loser. Um, the fact that the, someone will always be born to still fight more, you know. So it's a, for me, it's just a gesture of hope. Uh, because we see E.S. sitting, you know, he's just losing his mother inside. So he sits and he sees these kids still, you know, charged with hope. So that's really what that is. The house, I'll tell you what the house, the, the theft of that house. That theft of that house is be because I'm always tempted to elevate my tableaus into choreographies. Mm -hmm. But not all tableaus allow this animation. So wherever... Every scene I make, I try to see the potentiality for dance, yeah. for that animation, for that movement in and out of the frame. In this case, it was just the evident and the most clear to me. I have to say that this scene was not written in the script. Mm -hmm. This scene was written at the time when I was preparing the script because I was going to shoot in some house where the woman told me that she showed me the bullet holes mm -hmm. in her house and they stole her honeymoon embroideries. And I was just shooting there. So I was angry at her tears because she's like 75 years old, still remembering 1948, coming from Beirut with her honeymoon, with her husband from the honeymoon. And I decided to take revenge. Yeah. And I promised her that I would do so. Uh -huh. And so I went down to the production and I told him there's another scene, but I'm 
no clue what it's going to be. And so they went in a panic, of course, we already have limited time. But I had the impulse to actually, you know, I had another thing to do with this theft, but it was too informative and I dropped it. But then when she told me that, it kind of ignited the idea of doing a dance, a perverse rather, you know, a choreography. And so that's where the scene came. But I mean, if you notice, all my films have it. Yeah. You know, the tank. Yes. You know, how about the, the Haganah uh, when they are disguised as Arabs, you know, with the putting the, you know, it's of course, it's, it, is, it is also to deviate from blunt or immediate informative scenes which don't really interest me because if you want to know what happened in 48 you certainly don't start in Nazareth with barely anything happened yeah. you go to the villages where they were erased and massacres and all of that for me the interest is uh, the the poetic reference to a tragic situation and the perverse irony that comes hand in hand with that the cynicism of authorities that interests me yeah. and um I'm not interested for cliches. I'm interested to create a cinematic tableau, just like when you go and see a dance or you see a stage piece that is inspiring and not necessarily site-specific in terms of what it's telling, but it's telling something that can happen anywhere in the world. Yeah. So it sounds to me for the 1948 scenes that really much of the ideas came from really just inhabiting uh, the location or, or looking at the location and coming up with an idea or, or trusting the visual look or the feel of a location mm -hmm. really okay yeah i mean basically that you you're 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 pointing to a, a segment that happened to be um it to have been the most challenging just because it's a period i have not lived mm -hmm. and so there was a lot of ambition and and struggle to deviate from historic elements and to bring what is supposed to be the past into a choreographic or cinematic, you know, approach. So I, I think what I try to do is to also, you know, reduce and decenter the epic nature of such, you know, situation when you have a period film, you know, normally you're going with to be falling in a pit or you have to walk the thin rope. And so my challenge was to make it completely unepical. And so that's why I, 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 I went, you know, of course, there was a little of traditional filmmaking in that period because you couldn't have avoided it. Uh, it was impossible for me to have the, to be pretentious and to make the camera stand back and make it, you know, but so I did in these kind of choreographies that you saw. But if you notice that the rest of that narrative of the 48 had a lot of narrative, you know, close ups and medium shops and action even. Um, for me, it was the introduction to what follows later in the film, which is slowly actually camera distancing itself to create the intimacy that I'm, you know, usually what I know how to do. Yeah. One last question. Mm -hmm. Can film be a medium for resistance or revolution and why? I mean, film. I mean, I think any form of um, elevating your daily experience to an experience, a creative and critical experience is a form of resistance. This could be enhanced in the kitchen where you make a good meal, and this could be with lovemaking, and this could be with breaking and transgressing, you know, all sorts of checkpoints. And I think that film or art, uh, any, any form of, any attempt to bettering the reality by creating a potential other reality is already a form of resistance. And I think love is a form of resistance. Anything that by de facto reduces violence is a form of resistance. I, I think bettering your own self is a form of resistance. So I, I, I think this term can be actually reduced to how you can 
live and the way you live is already can become a potentially a form of resistance that by depicting how one lives you are essentially depicting resistance but I, yes. I yes poetry does that yeah. you know beauty does that um, I, I mean I, th I think it doesn't stop at armed resistance sure. it, it also is how we conduct our daily living you know and 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 by by transferring any positive sign of that by being I think essentially, I would say for myself, is when we try to enhance the definition of friendship. This is a very, very good way to start, you know, searching in what form of resistance we can enhance. Well, Ilya, I've got tons of questions, but no time. But thanks so much. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.